Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria. And today we are lucky to get to chat with our good friend Greta Monahan, who um, you all know as a style expert. She's been on your television forever and ever, and she's just like the best friend who gives you all the best beauty advice and all the fun things of, you know, womanhood. But has most recently been making news because she's been very honest and open and public about her now conquering of breast cancer, but going through the process and sharing very detailed and really important elements of her journey to let other women know how she caught it, how she's dealt with it, what the recovery from it has been like. You know, we talk about what's your superpower or what's your what's the thing you were like put on earth to do. And part of me thinks that her superpower was to be this friend to women in a very, you know, very real way um, and to make you feel great when you're around her. Her energy is so infectious. I mean, even literally she finished her 12th round, her 12th consecutive week of chemotherapy. And she's with us on the show today looking incredible, which is the least, uh, you know, least important thing, but looking amazing and just still inspiring, still positive, still incredible. I know you guys are going to love this combo. You know that Daphne and I speak a lot. We talk a lot. (laughs) Um, Hopefully you find it to be endearing. You're going to see that we don't talk very much during this. So take notes. This is so important. We felt very strongly on having Greta come on because she has so much to teach us. Um, It's not just being wowed by her story, but it is really, really, really a plan of action for all of us because this is something that's very real and you need to take care of yourself. Here's Greta Monahan. Mom Hi, I'm Greta Monahan. I am founder and CEO of Greta Enterprises. I'm comprised of beauty, spa, fashion, all the fun stuff for women. We have stores in Boston and Connecticut. And um, you can find me at, at Greta Monahan on Instagram and Twitter. Wait, so how old is your baby now? So Rio is two years and five months. Oh my so gosh. he is, he's just, a, he's at like that. He looks like and sounds like um, a little cartoon. And Kai and is just so cute. Kai is how And old? Kai just turned nine. So oh. he's like the big boy. Right. He is like my helper. I feel like how Carmen is. Yeah. I have that in Kai. He is such an amazing big brother. And there's such a big age gap. Right. Um, that it's just magical. You know, everyone warned me. They were like, oh. <gasps> He's so set in his only ways. This is really late. Are you guys sure? I'm like, what are you talking? You know, and I said, well, sure or not, Rio's coming. So, so you know, I mean, there's a there's a million things that we want to talk to you about. You know, you are a fashion genius, and you're one of my favorite few people to follow on Instagram because I'm always getting like ideas on what so to many, wear, and you're just so like this bundle. Ideas. You're just like this like energy. You're just like you have you're fiery. But you know, we I, we've been all following along yes. with your with your journey, and you were diagnosed with with breast cancer, and you are doing your journey in such a public way, which not only I feel like is probably very cathartic for you, but is helping so many people because, you know, and we talk about this a lot on Mom Brain with so many things. Um, mom and woman were taught to be really quiet and really silent about it. And, um, you know, my, my grandmother died when I was 10 and she died of breast cancer and she didn't say anything until it was the size of a baseball because you weren't supposed to say anything. And had she said something sooner, um, maybe some, she would have had a different outcome, but there's such a shame 
Um, yes. That obviously has changed a lot in, you know, since she, you know, she passed away 25 years ago. But, um, but anyway, I'm, I'm very proud of you for, for how vocal you've been. And I'm, and I want to know absolutely everything that you've learned. I want to know all about your story. And I want you to, to know what you can tell us to help us and other women. Cause we all have boobs. I love, we all have boobs. Exactly. Well, first of all, I'm so glad that you shared about your grandmother because I didn't realize that. And I think it's important, so important to kick off with your personal story because it really does surprise me. And it has surprised me along this journey where I've become so intimate with people who are being treated with me and in my circle and have met so many incredible warrior women. But so many of them are not comfortable. So what you just said was relevant 25 years ago, but it's also very relevant yeah. now. And you, you both of you are giving me a platform, us a platform, and giving this audience an opportunity to have a safe place to talk about it. And I've really learned through, you know, just my sharing that I didn't realize how many people are looking for that, desperately mm. looking for that, especially people who, you know, like you said, we own our breasts. They are ours. The biggest risk that comes with breast cancer is being a woman. That's it. That's number one. If you are a woman, you are at risk. So I think in just kind of making it general and not, you know, only whether or not it's family genes or all of the other specifics, which we will cover, and I will share everything because, yes, I've I've talked about it publicly and I obviously, I made my announcement on The View on ABC. They were very generous and really wanted me at the table to do that. And they're such a great family, as is the Rachel Ray Show, um, who has covered everything in my personal life from my IVF struggles all the way through because she and I have been best friends for so long. Um, You know, coming here and being on Mom Brain and being able to really kind of break it down and talk so openly, nothing's nothing's off limits. So you said whatever you want to know, whatever we can kind of do here, I think it's really important. And you know your audience. So just drive me and help steer me into it. And I'll share everything I can because I think what you're doing is really important. And I've told everyone, you know, even though it isn't October anymore and even though it isn't, you know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, it's more important than ever that we continue to have these conversations 12 months out of the year, not to bum everybody out, but on the, on, for me, the opposite, empower people to be, um, for all of us to be the bosses of our own body and boobs. Well, and, go, boobs. and boobs. And uh, boobs. Go, if you will, back to the beginning, sure. because I think one thing that really holds all of us back from getting the information that we need and being able to act on it is fear of what we'll discover. Yes. So take us back to sure. before your diagnosis and, you know, what led you to go down that path and how did it play out for you? Okay. So let me go back actually five years ago. Five, almost six, I was starting to go back to IVF. We had had Kai. We made a decision um, and had a little bit of a pause between kids. And then we kind of looked at each other and said, okay, like it's really getting on now. We better do this if we're going to try it. And even if it's super slim chances, it's really something we both want to do. So I, outside of my normal annual mammogram, I was getting mammograms from the time that I was 40. I actually did my first mammogram at 38 as a as a PSA in Boston to try to, you know, encourage women to go get mammograms. And it was sort of the, it was sort of the um, change and the elevation of new machines and 3D mm-hmm. mammography. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I've been advocating and into this for a very long time, especially because my business is all female powered. Mm-hmm. I always say I have female juice all over the place. I have... <laughs> 
99% of my my employees are female. Wow. So my entire company, my community, my client base, my stores, my spas. So I just I just love that space. And so, you know, it was always really important to me, but it is very different to be a patient and than an advocate. And so the the experience has been um, really dynamic. So at that point, we we decided, I knew I had to get a mammogram to start IVF, just as a kind of a baseline. Mm. And so it was going to be before my year anyway. It was probably about eight or nine months. So I was a few months shy of being due. And so I went in and I had a routine mammogram like I always did. And that was the first time I was ever called in. And the doctor said to me, hey, you know, this is weird little cr- cluster in your left breast. He's like, I don't want to get alarmed here, but I, I would like I would like you to get it checked further. So I'm going to send you through to have an MRI and this and that. And so in the end of the day, what happened was is I was diagnosed with something called ADH, atypical ductal dysplasia. Now, you know, if you hear about this all the time, it's the scariest thing. Forget about even being called, as I finally was recently, and being told you have a malignancy or cancer. It's even frightening when they say, we see something, you have to go back, take more pictures. That is terrorizing, just that. And that goes on every day in every almost, you know, more than half of the mammographies that are happening out there because they have to do their due diligence and they have to check out every little thing that they're seeing. In addition to that, the new technology is so sensitive. And I'm sure, you know, you talk about this and hear about this, all of you, because it's just so sensitive that it picks up a lot of things that are going to be just fine, Mm -hmm. but they need to look into it. Mm -hmm. So in my case, it turned out to be ADH. And ADH is a marker for increased risk. So that really for us was like, whoa, because we were just there thinking we're going to slide through this mammogram, jump right on the table and get going with IVF. And that caused a pause. Um, What ended up happening was I was referred to see a breast surgeon, a breast oncologist. When I met her, we talked out the options and she said, look, I can't leave those in there. It's not necessarily going to be that they turn into cancer. But due to their increased risk, we need to take them all out. We need we want to clear that area. And we also want to take a closer look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so she did that. I had what was called an excision biopsy. Um, and so that's a bit more than just a needle biopsy, which is a typical way to just see if you have malig- malignancies. Um, and so it was ultrasound assisted. It was a small surgical. It didn't hurt me at all. I want to make that clear. Um, but it was, you know, a little bit of a, almost like a little wedge that they take out. And so once she confirmed it was ADH, she sat me down. It was Dr. Lisa Port from Dubin Breast Center, who is amazing, and a friend. And she said, look, I know you're at a really um, big crossroads in your life. You know, you've told me and shared that you came here and you did all of this this kind of baseline business with them getting the mammogram early to have a baby. But I have to tell you that, you know, as your doctor right now, I would actually – I'd prefer to see you go on tamoxifen because you do have an increased risk to develop breast cancer. Mm. And, you know, it's so hard in some ways to to say that because you think, oh, my God, here I am having a double mastectomy. You know, I had my last chemo treatment yesterday and I have a lot of people who, you know, were vocal and said, hey, you know, why did you do that? Why didn't you just stop then? Wasn't one child enough? You know, and those are all the things you 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 say to yourself. But when Rio comes running up to me. This morning, you know, 15 minutes before I left to see you guys, I know for sure it was just the right thing. It was what I wanted to do, and I would do it all over again. It's just these are the tough things and the tough moments women are faced with. And so in that moment, I told her exactly what I just shared with you. You obviously know my decision. I said, uh, Dr. Port, I love you. I, I will continue to be – I will – 
get my surveillance. I want you to go in there and get it all out and, you know, take as great a care of me as you can, but I am going to politely decline. I don't want to go on tamoxifen. If I had gone on tamoxifen, it would have put me immediately into menopause. So that's the side effect of tamoxifen. Permanently? um, If you come off of it, you may go back onto your normal cycles, but you certainly can't get pregnant while you're on it. So you can't get pregnant while you're on it, but in theory, it could also have been a you can't get pregnant ever. Potentially, I mean, wow. the question is, you know, I was at a later, a later age anyway having right. kids. A lot of factors. So right. the factors of then kind of naturally moving into a perimenopause, which no one knows when that's hitting. I wasn't in that, but no one knows. So what did, what did your husband say though when you were making that decision? Because that's something, you know, I, I think that our husbands are, are, or your partner is scared for you and cares about you and you are their number one priority and you are putting the priority of potentially another human in front of your own life in that regard. What was that conversation like? So interesting. Before I came here, I thought a lot about that I haven't talked about him a lot and that it's so important that we talk about our mates. Um, You know, it's very important. And I have really learned through this that, you know, at that moment, he was as gung-ho as I was, even though he had really you know, such a, a huge um, shock response to the ADH mm-hmm. discovery and to my increased risk when we sort of got back to who we were as a couple and what our dreams and goals were, that outweighed, that outweighed in the moment, you know, and, and just was from our hearts and our soul, we wanted to go with our dreams and really try to have this baby. And we knew with me being, you know, 44 years old that it was really now or never, you know, there was no going on to Moxford and coming off at 49 and <laughs> going back to IVF. So it was very much for us starting our our family later in life. Like, you know, do we do this? What do we do? And do we have hope and positivity? And we put that to work and we we go and and we take uh, the leap of faith. So we did. And we were, you know, and are so blessed that we got our dream. So I can't, I can't, I, you know, say all the time, there's no mistakes. It just, you know, there was no guarantee that I was going to get breast cancer. There was an increased risk. But there's certainly many people with increased risk for, as you said, Alaria, many factors that it doesn't actually turn out to happen to them. And when did you, how old was your baby when you got diagnosed with breast cancer? So my, it's interesting. My, I was diagnosed um, on April, thir- well, April 30th, I had my mammogram. I was diagnosed on um, May 1st and Rio's birthday is May, is June 12th which was a, almost a non-existent birthday because it was, you know, he was turning to, we had a very tiny little cake, but we were in the throes of chaos. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, we kind of shut down all of the big, the travel and the family tours and all the things you do, um, which, you know, at the time felt kind of icky, but it, it just was what our family had to do to kind of buckle down and Did get you prepared. have any signs, markers, anything that you were, you were concerned no. So uh, going back to this latest mammogram on April 30th of this year, it was my annual. I was right on time. I strolled in like you always do, getting dressed into my my pink slip, you know, prior to the appointment. And I do that because I think, okay, I'm here. Let me share and try to promote going to get your mammogram because I know that alone is so scary. And I had just had all of this great information from my doctor, Dr. Susan Drossman here in New York, who's incredible. She runs her own uh, her own diagnostic office, which I love because she always has the latest and greatest and then informs me and educates me on sort of what is new and great. And she's 
said to me earlier, she's like, we have all new machines. They don't hurt. Like you're going to be, you're going to be so excited to talk about this and to get in there and just see how there's been a lot of improvements. And I was like, great. I really want to share this the moment I go in. So I took my photos in the, in the changing room and I waited as I always do. I went in to have my, um, my mammogram done. Everything was going well. I was chatting it up with my, with my technician. I see a lot. And, um, you know, she took the films. She usually, like most, pretty commonplace. They leave the room. They show the doctor. She came back. She said she wants some more views. I said, okay, normal. I have dense breasts, so I want to break in and ask, just say, dense breasts are very, it's important to know and ask specifically if you have that. Because what does that mean? Dense breasts are mean that the tissue mm-hmm. is you actually, they can't get a full read on mammography alone. Okay. And this is where this is a great opportunity to converse about this. If we don't ask those questions, we may not actually address it ever in our appointments. Mm-hmm. And we may not be getting all of the diagnostics we need to get a really clear, accurate picture of our breast health. So if you have dense breasts, you always will get a, a mammogram, but you do need to get an ultrasound sound. So in my appointments, I have two things going on. And they actually give you a rating on the density of your breast. These are all really important things I learned. And I learned them from a great person, but it's just something you you need to ask. And that doesn't matter where you live, where you are, where you're listening in the country. Really important to ask because once they write that down, your insurance will also cover that. Which Mm -hmm. So these are really important things. So for me, first step was the mammogram. Went in, she did that. They always do a lot of pictures on me just because of my former, my, you know, ADH removal. And I just want to make sure everything's clear. And so she said, okay, she's ready to see you now. I went in. She said, okay, listen, I see a little something. That's why we took so many pictures. There's a little something on the left side. This is a, looks like a calcification, does not look like ADH to me. I'm not that highly concerned about it, but you know me. I leave no stone unturned. I'd like you to come in during this month. We'll just take a little needle biopsy. I just want to throw it under the microscope and just make sure. I said, great. You know, I, I knew that if she was not raising it to be more concerned than that, then I would I was comfortable. She invited me onto the table for my ultrasound. Ultrasound, she started on the right breast. We started chatting about kids and this and that and all the things we do. She's great. She, you know, very thorough. She said, great. Okay, we're going to move now to the um, left breast. Your right looks perfect and clear. Went to the left breast. We continued our conversation and then she went quiet and she said, okay, I'm sorry. I need to interrupt our chat, but I need to have you look at the screen. I'm going to magnify an area I need to show you because it concerns me a lot. And I said, okay. And she had never said that before to me in this moment. So she did exactly as she said. She said, I see a lesion. I want to show you that it's irregular. It's very, very small. That's the good news. But there's definitely something there that I do not like the looks of. This is not the same concern level that I had about your mammography, and it is not the same place. So we're not going to be waiting to do this. We need to do this tomorrow. And when I say do this, I mean you'll come in, you will be in this office, and you will have a needle biopsy done. It'll be under local. It won't hurt. I had had one before, so I knew that. And basically, I will have an ultrasound-assisted guided needle biopsy for you, and we will get the results the next day. I said, okay. I kind of took a gulp, but I was like... I don't, you know, you still feel pretty positive. I was like, I've been through this. I know I have some things there. She said, I need to just let me continue. I want to make it around the whole breast. So I laid back. She shifted as they do. And I shifted my body so she could get under, up and underneath. And she said, okay, I see something else I don't like. And I said to her right then, I said, Susan, I said, is that the same spot? And she said, no, this is actually a different site. 
And then I swallowed hard because I just, you know, this is the beauty of going and having a really intimate relationship with your doctor that you trust because I knew she would never heighten this. It wasn't some stranger, some dramatic event or some technician that doesn't know. Another little FYI takeaway, please get a doctor you love. Please get one that is intimate and invested in you or move on. It's our health. I'm not, I love doctors. So this is not doctor bashing. It's more about everything in life that you need to find the right fit and the right relationship. Um, So she said that and I leaned back. She showed me, she went to the screen. She made sure to walk me through exactly what she was seeing and why she was, you know, really calling it out in the way that she was. And she said, basically, this is on another part of the tissue plane. So I'm going to treat it as a secondary site. Mm -hmm. This is something near but separate. We will be biopsying that as well. It also had a little irregularity to it. It was also very small. She went one more time, one more pass, and actually found a third. But the third one was in the same tissue plane. So she said, we don't have to needle biopsy both of those because typically if they're in the same plane, you they're really kind of cousins or sisterly or somehow connected. So we'll get all the information we need to get from the two and we won't be poking you all over. So basically that was it. I showed up the next morning as she directed. My husband was with me. We did the, you know, under such stress and duress, That's we right. did that moment. I mean, just you get a pause on that for people who've gone through it because it's definitely – you know, when your doctor's concerned, you're concerned. We weren't hysterical, but we were obviously rightfully concerned. And then she called us at home and said she would about midday, um, April 1st, and we were together. We didn't leave each other's side. And I just remember her calling and she said, I'm so sorry. Yeah, this is malignant. And I thought that it would be, but um, I want you to get into a breast surgeon right away. So that was the first, and we just kind of, I remember you went, you said, Daphne, like, what about your partner and your husband? And that was, you go through a lot of things together. You know, if you're married long enough, you've gone through a lot of things. And I remember looking at him and I remember thinking, I've never seen that look on his face. Like that is one, that was one, yeah, I think Alaria is scary, but like he almost, like, it was like the blood drained out of his face. More so than me at that moment. And I think I realized like, this is... This is such a systemic family shock. And it's like, you know, the book, like the sky is falling in. Like, it's just like, you know, it's just it just fell on us in our lives, our perfect lives. And to see him, you know, react with such fear, he didn't scream or yell, but he just it was like he lost his breath. So I, we, I said, OK, I said, just give us a beat, Susan. We're taking this in. And she said, OK, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead now. And because I had a relationship with Dr. Elite support, that was great. And she knew my history. I went to her office first. So I got I received the result on Wednesday. Again, I had a very amazing invested invested doctor who is, believe me, booked to the rafters, but said, I will see you Friday at five at the end of my day. I'm staying late for you. And she didn't really have much to work on except for those initial those initial results. And once you're in this, once this sort of um, diagnosis occurs, you find yourself in the world of test, test, mm. test, test, test. And then you find yourself in the world of waiting, 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 waiting. So for those of us that, and most of us, we all want to go faster and work faster than what we feel the disease is working in our body to get it out and to eradicate and to go after it. But then you must have the right information along the way. So yeah pausing and pacing and working with your doctors and being patient reasonably in those situations is 
very, very trying. And sort of that's where we felt. We we met her on Friday. She wanted to look at my what she had. She desperately wanted to give me an overview of the what ifs. And when I met with her that Friday with my husband, she said, okay, well, this absolutely needs to come out. The question is, how does it need to come out? Does it need to come out as a lumpectomy? Does it need to come out as a mastectomy? That's really important. I am a woman who wants to breast conserve whenever I can. I want to do the least amount of surgery on you that's appropriate. However, the number one goal is to save your life and to obviously maximize um, your cure rate. That's re- really what the surgical approach is. So I don't want to, I don't want for us to do anything that isn't enough here. And she said, frankly, because I have a needle biopsy, I know you're malignant, but what I don't know is really what the rest, what's going on. Yes, mammography gives us information. Yes, with dense breasts, you had the double up of an ultrasound, which is really sensitive and great because that shows such different characteristics to the breast. But we haven't yet done an MRI. An MRI will, a breast MRI will literally light up any cells or additional areas and take an even deeper dive into sort of what's going on beyond the area that we're sure of right now. And I'd feel remiss if I gave you an exact surgical plan um, without that. So that took another week, went to go have the MRI the next week, followed up. And by probably the next, that Friday of the following week, we got back on the phone and she said to me, Okay, so what we're seeing, it was she and Susan, they both got on the phone and and gave me the rundown. And they said, okay, so the, the MRI shows the three lesions, no more, which is great, but it shows something called foci. Foci are floating cancer cells, potentially. They, they light up. And so what that says to us is that if we try to do a lumpectomy on you, especially with the size breasts you have, I don't have the biggest, I have mom boobs for sure, but I do not have the biggest uh, breast tissue or breast situation going on. She's like, I feel like I'd leave you disfigured, unhappy. And more importantly, I'd be afraid that one of those foci that are sort of in and around that area, I'm just not going to be able to get them out. And I need to have a margin clean and clear enough and aggressive enough that I can look you in the face and say, this was amazing. We scooped, we got it. We're good. You know, so, I mean, you can't argue with that, right. right? I mean, she was right on the money. So that that was a big change in the road because a lumpectomy, I'm giving you all these stop downs, but you'll tell me if it's too much. Um, the lumpectomy is you're, you're one and done with your doctor, like your lumpectomies or your, you know, removals or little biopsies, just check. You pretty much deal with an Elise port that person who's a surgical oncologist, you go in, you get it done, and it's pretty much that. When you're talking mastectomy, the whole, it changes it changes the game in a big way in the sense that a surgical oncologist takes out the cancer. Now you need a, another team if you are going to do reconstructive surgery. So now I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, so let me get this straight. So I can't just get this taken out with you tomorrow, even if you have a slot to do it, because now I have to go and consult and understand this much larger surgery. And so that's a pause for a lot of people. That's a moment. And what comes with that exactly at the same time is, are you going to do one or are you going to take off both? Right. And that was a world of, I went down a bunch of different avenues to get to that decision. Um, and I want to say right here and now, the most meaningful avenue for me was survivors. S- talking to women 
who had both a single and a double mastectomy experience. The most meaningful, the most unbelievably empowering conversations and knowledge came from those, more so than the doctors, to be very, very honest with you. Um, so all the surgical consults, that is, and I felt like I was moving like a freight train because I had wonderful friends. I had, um, um, I don't even know if you know Daph, but our mutual friend Katie had asked yeah. you for a recommendation of I your didn't dad. Know it was for you at yeah, because she but, probably didn't use yeah. my name, but you, your dad gave her some amazing at Columbia who I ended up going to and loved. Um, so I had all of these incredible opportunities and, and took them. And I thought I was moving fast. And even at that, you guys, it took me at least two to three weeks to do you know, consultations thoroughly. And that's when both and when you're my living husband it, and I, with it in your body all the time, every minute of that is excruciating. And that's where at home you feel it like with your mate, because Ricky was like, let's just go get yeah. this out. And I was like, I understand, but you have to understand this is my body. I have to put Humpty Dumpty back together so again. I can't it. just ride into this and not know who that other team is. Yeah. I need that connection. They do it all at the same time. I mean, the surgical teams are literally back to back in that moment of the mastectomy followed immediately by, I guess you're already under general anesthesia. You have a choice. Some women, so there's, I'll give you kind of the three big buckets of choices. Number one, go in, get the breasts off, zip them up, and walk around undone. That's a choice. A lot of women are doing that. That's a very modern, you know, I see a lot of women and a lot of, talk to a lot of survivors who said, hey, I just didn't want to feel any different. This is going to be me now. And that's what I wanted to do. And yeah. I think I'm so inspired by that and love that. It wasn't my choice, but that is a choice. So in that case, you can just go with one surgeon. The other choice is to zip up and then deal with a team after the fact if you know you want to pause and do reconstruction separately. The most common one is to do two teams at once and start immediate reconstruction, but it's starting, and I'll break that down, starting in that first surgery. Mm -hmm. Because you can't do, a, you, it's difficult to do, let me say this, it, difficult to do in mo most cases, a full insertion of an implant at the same day you remove all the cancer. It can be done, but you have to be a candidate for that. And usually that's a much smaller busted person. You have to make sure the blood supply can tolerate that stretching and mm. the and everything that goes into the healing process. So it's done, but it's done at a smaller percentage. The next choice became, am I going to do implants or am I going to do what's called a flap surgery or a surgery that would involve taking off fat from another part of my body and having a microsurgery team come in and actually put my own tissue back in the wow. areas where it's in. Amazing. Amazing, you guys. If I didn't have a little child that was desperate to climb all over me, <gasps> the healing is longer. Oh, and so, and, and can have some complexities, but the healing is definitely longer. The surgery is longer. So though in theory, I thought that was my go-to yeah. when I understood how, how long I'd be down as a mom, it backed me into right. the classic way of doing what's called immediate reconstruction, which is remove all of the cancer I had. And then I had what's called expanders placed. Expanders are more of a rigid, it's like a rigid Ziploc bag. Mm -hmm. You could actually it'll let you feel it so you can feel it because you can actually feel it crunchy. It's not the best feeling in the world. But they go in there because right at that moment, they have to make a pocket under your muscle. Mm -hmm. So between your chest wall and your muscle, because, again, this is not augmentation, which is a big confusion. You know, 
having a mastectomy is not just a general augmentation of your breast because they're so they're coring out all your breast tissue. So you're left with a lot thinner skin. The blood supply is really important to get that reconnected, to get that working. In my case, I had a nipple sparing mastectomy, so I was very lucky to yeah. keep my nipples. And that was so important to me. Yeah. I was very hard for people me get them like tattooed on. And that's and- beautiful. Absolutely. But for whatever reason, I, 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 I felt less I felt less emotional about losing whatever breast tissue I was losing and more emotional about losing that part of my anatomy and probably because we do have so much history you know we do we breastfeed and we it's part of you and it just was something that if I was in my situation I was searching for someone a team that would really give it a try so um, but they put the expanders in which I had in and then you basically go into the office after you heal the first six weeks they start to fill the expanders. And that actually stretches, that gently stretches over weeks mm-hmm. in a very subtle and minimal way. Mm-hmm. That expander, by filling it little by little, you get to the size and place you want to be. And then you do what's called an exchange surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's when they put the actual soft, you know, mm-hmm. whatever soft implant you're going to be in. And now you start to feel and be normal. Interesting. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of steps. You're a professor so. at this point. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're so nice. But it's, it's wonderful to get to hear that from, to get to, yes, it's like all the, you know, and it's generous of you to share so many of the details of your specific experience. And it is such a, I, I, it is so powerful to have the vehicle of your information is almost as important as the information itself, because to hear it from a survivor, to hear, like you'd said, even in your own journey, to Absolutely. hear the Anyone, anyone can give advice in a vacuum, but when you've actually lived it, it's much, it's a very, it carries a very different emotional weight. And also, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more from you about how you dealt all along. You, you've been so successful in so many things. You've had a plan of attack in a lot of what you've gone through here. Um, And I'm sure that gave you a lot of comfort and you did, you had an amazing support system and you had access to great doctors and like, thank God, thank God you had the, the gates were opened in, in many ways. But um, I'm curious how something people always say about you, Greta, is like you have the most positive, infectious mm-hmm. energy. And this is not an easy thing to deal with. And I'm curious how you've, is it having a plan? Is it, you know, looking out for your for your young sons and your husband? Like what, which, you know, is a great thing and a negative too. Like we have to, we say a lot on the show, put your own, put your own oxygen on mask on first. And we, it's hard for us to take care of ourselves first, but instances like this make it so clear that we have to. How have you maintained that really positive energy throughout? Definitely, um, I think having our children there's a need for a filter, right? And, and it's not just a need, it's a it's a requirement because you don't want, no matter what type of terrorizing, you know, reality you are aware of, you want to keep your children in a well and safe state of mind, you know? So that was really front of mind. And I start with that just to answer your, uh, or to, to try to uh, address your kindness around, you know, and it's wonderful to hear people think I'm positive. I am, but I want to make it really clear and real, keep it real. I was scared to death. I mean, I, I, I still wake up mornings and think, I hope it's out of me. 
you know, I have to talk myself and meditate through that and give some moments to that. I will not be anything but untrue where we're adults and this is what we're talking about. And so, but there is, there is this incredible magic that you get from your children and your, and your husband when you know that, you know, this entire house, you know, and the energy it lives and runs off during this challenge, there's an opportunity to make it a lesson on how we deal with crisis. There is such an opportunity for me to rise above what I'm really feeling and try to stretch and reach for a better place, which I know ultimately will serve me in maintaining my energy and helping me to really face this fight in the best case, you know, scenario mentally that I can. Mm -hmm. So, so much of it, I think, comes from kind of just, but just taking a point of view on sort of how you want to see your environment be and how you want it to be for the rest of the people that are in your boat. Because yes, it's in my body, but certainly as the mom of the house, you know, as we all know, we set the tempo, the tone, and really have so much to do with how comfortable everyone's feeling. And so that was a big motivator. And I think that is a built-in huge bonus and when life goes bad it's also a big responsibility um but i definitely you know i think i it was amy from good morning america i, I had watched her have an interview amy roback when she was diagnosed and i remember her saying um you know robin asked her and she said well where do you do, you know where do you get upset because she said i don't want my kids to see it ever when i'm upset and she said i cry in the shower so like that even just listening to her story when i felt overwhelmed i would jump in the shower like all times of day and night because it was a place I felt like I could just have a minute yeah. to be upset even yeah. not wanting Ricky Ricky's very emotional <laughs> he's an actor <laughs> and I was like oh boy I can't get him started waterworks he's a better crier than I am being on a soap opera for 25 years so um I was like okay this is my moment and I would do that you know and it wasn't about hiding from them I definitely it was very important for my nine-year-old because when they're older you know yeah. Um, we needed to have a real talk and my husband was really uneasy about me telling Kai that I had cancer and what that meant and you know he I, he went oh, when I told him my son Kai was like oh, mommy because we had one person in our family pass from that C word and it was a really hard thing I had to go in there understanding he would link that up and that we needed to be prepared to break it down and why Auntie Linda's cancer was not my cancer and that you know cancer is a scary thing no matter yeah. what and it was a lot and he my son said to me Mom, he said, um, he said, can I go into school and share this with my classroom and my teachers so I can get more support? And I was like, oh, my goodness. Why are you so amazing? Oh my I'm like, we're like, you know, I was, it was just such an unbelievable moment. So they give us back things yeah. that are so healing yeah. and so incredible and so inspiring. He was eight. And I, oh I knew he didn't really understand the concept, you know, but he was eight and that's what he turned it it's into. It's just amazing time that our children are growing up. And I mean, there's so many things that we say, oh my God, the world right now. And there's this yes. and that, but there's a beauty in it as well, because they have permission to be open. Yes. And so, I mean, where we live, yes. where we live in our, definitely in our New York bubble, Absolutely. there is this permission to be open. And, and it really is amazing when children can articulate that they need to have support. Absolutely. But you know that they do that because you're the mommy. Yeah. 
No, and, and I want to say I want to give his school credit. They really love to put things. We they work really hard to connect the parents with all sorts of things. Not even big things like this, but things where they feel the kids socially should yeah. talk it out, yeah. or they're having little conflicts, or they're just seeing little things. And I just love that they're so proactive. And so I think he learned a lot of that yeah. from us as well. But it definitely in school that was his safe place, and he marched right in there the next day. They had their morning meeting, and his teacher called me later and told me, and she said it was unbelievable. He just said, my mommy has cancer and I'm scared, but she told me that we're going to kick cancer's ass. I did swear and I did say that to him and he got the <laughs> biggest chuckle out of it. He did. It was like the, it totally broke that like really awkward moment. Um, and he told me, he said, you know, just like I had stitches on my head when I hit my head in basketball playing and they were able to stitch me out, they're going to go in, they're going to scoop out the cancer and they're going to stitch her up and she'll have stitches and she'll have, she'll have a boo-boo. And, you know, he went in and he told his class all of this. And I was like, wow, you don't think they're listening to you (laughs) (laughs) ever. So Daphne, I think it's, you know, look, when we're loved, we're blessed. And so it kept me smiling all the way through. And that's a big, that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, circling back to the beginning of the conversation and just you allowing me to share here, I feel like every time I share or talk about this, someone direct messages me, a total stranger, someone texts me from a family friend back at home or a Facebook and says, oh, it's so great. You know, I heard you because I booked my appointment or I just did my myself breast examination. I haven't done one in years, you know, and it's just that's so empowering. It makes you feel you're like helping you, to save lives. Yeah. And even more gritty than that, it makes you feel like you are facing a bully in the schoolyard. and You just kicked him in the ass because it makes you feel like you're really doing something to help someone else and you said it even if the even if the even if the result isn't great if it's early you are in an amazing position and that's we just have to be shooting for that we have to be praying of course when we go in for all of our diagnostics or we're doing our self-breast examinations that you know we know we all want we want only good news, but if there is something there to take care of, we must we want it early, yeah. and so that's why we have to take on all of that responsibility to do that and get it done. And, and that's what's so scary about it is what exactly what you were saying at the beginning. Like it's almost like you just don't want to face it. You don't want to deal with it. I have a. Um, I mean, I've been pregnant and breastfeeding for many, many, many years, yes. and I developed a um, lump in my left breast. Mm-hmm. And while I was breastfeeding Leo, I had to have the, when they put the needle yes, in, what the is needle, the, the needle biopsy. Needle biopsy. Yeah, yeah. And then I had to pump for days afterwards because yeah. their milk is bloody. Yes, yes. Um, oh, wow. And yes. Yeah. yeah, it does. And it ended up being fine, um, but I still have it. Right. You know, it yeah. was, and, and it's one of those things where every, if I'm in the mirror, every single time I raise my arm and I have this idea, and but she told me, she's like, nope, 100%, yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is completely benign. And they mostly are benign. And they mostly are benign, but it, it got me starting to think, because all of a sudden, I mean, it's interesting, you go from being really young and you don't think about these things to all of a sudden you have to think right. about these yes. things and you have kids and you have to be responsible yes. because like everybody seems to not be okay if you're not there. It's so true. You know, and it's so much, it's just, it's stressful. But I remember the waiting, as you call it, the waiting for my doctor to call me and she was amazing. She called me and she just said, 
everything is fine. She didn't say, hey, no. this is doctor. Because they she know just, you pick up that phone and, and you just, say, hey, right, get to it. It's like, it's like I don't even want to, like, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> just no. like, you know, yeah. Say yes or no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please, yes or no. Like, and that's why I think with mine, she was like, I'm sorry. Like, she yeah. just wanted to get it get, out, get, you know? And she's a human. She wasn't going to, like, like get, you know, clinical on me. She just wanted to be first a human. And that's great that she said that, that she did that with you. There's a couple of, like, things that I think are so important for our listeners. One, you're going through chemo right now. Chemo and radiation. Um, no radiation, just chemo. Oh, just for me. chemo. Sorry. Yes, that's okay. So chemo and yes. um and did you decide to do that just as a precaution? So let me let me. I first want to. Um, I'm coming to that. I want to talk because you talked about your self examination. I think yeah. it's so important, and I think it's also this is one of the things I want you to know that as small as mine were on the left, as small as they were, there was one very superficial one of my lesions that was close enough to the surface that had I been doing breast examinations regularly, and I was. I was familiar with my breasts in the way that you just described being familiar with what yeah. yours. I might have been able to feel it. So just as a pause, because I want to commend you for continuing to, to be there. We have to touch ourselves once a month. We have to feel. And th- the thing is, it's not about it's not about being frightened, as Alaria said, to locate a bump because I know you know Daphne we do get bumps we get bumpy with every single period some people more than others some people less than others that's just the way we're built Mm -hmm. so it's not that it's about the getting familiar to know the changes now you are familiar with your one area so What's amazing is that because you're there every month, because you're paying attention and doing that self-care, and to me that's categorically self-care, you're going to know if there's changes. It's the changes that must be marked and highlighted to your doctor. So that's just part of it. And so for me, I like to be really super clear and honest. I was not doing those. Yes, I was getting my mammography every year. Yes, I was on time. I was probably doing my breast examinations once every three months. You really, the key is, according to most doctors, do it once a month, one week after your period, when your hormones settle down, so that you can have a baseline and know that that, you should be pretty familiar and consistent that one month. So again, not to be a hound, but I think it's really important. I wanted to own up because you were great about saying that you, you know, you're on it. You're always making sure to check that area. I mean, really important. It's as since I've become a mom, I've been much in some ways, much better at taking care of myself in terms of like the I big things. And definitely when like I have a cold, yes. I, I'm not great at taking care of myself. <laughs> but in terms of that kind of stuff, um, just because one of my biggest fears, my biggest fear is something happens to my kids, my second and my husband, my second biggest fear is something happens to myself and Absolutely. and then they don't have mommy anymore. That's right. Um, that was mine. That was the one that would always bring me to tears. Well, I'm glad you answered that because that was one of my things What was what can we do? And it yeah. seems just like, you know, screening. Now, it, when we're done having kids um, and we've had, you know, fun, you know, silly episodes in the show where we talk about, you know, getting our boobs done yes. and like, I like want to get my boobs done after I'm done having all these kids because they're like down to my belly button at this Me point. Me too. But, <laughs> now it's happening. And now it's, it's happening. <laughs> um, but is it something, do you think, can you be proactive about it and be like, hey, you know what? I'm done using them for their right particular purpose. Let me just do this anyway. Yes. Well, I told you I want to come back with my with my surgeon, my my reconstructive surgeon, um, Dr. Mia Talmore. She has made this so positive. Yeah. She's such an empowered woman. You will love her. She was the one I walked in and I said, okay, all of the all of the male reconstructive doctors I've gone to have said that I can't save my nipples, not because of the cancer, but because I have so much ptosis. I have so much sag from breastfeeding. And she she said, let me, she said, take off your shirt. So I, t- so I didn't even wait. I just took off my, we didn't even do anything like by protocol. 
all. She's like, oh, please unbutton your shirt. She looked, she goes, that's ridiculous. I've had all sorts of kids. We can get those back up. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. <laughs> and I was like, oh my, you would never think that was like a cancer appointment. And I was like, I love you. Yeah, seriously. You are my doctor. Best friend Because I am not going to be cancer or mommy shamed into thinking I have to look worse after this or feel worse about myself. More importantly, um, it's certainly number one to get the cancer out. But let's talk. What else can we do? And she's so amazing. I actually just saw her and sort of at the rewind to, to tell you guys, bring you where I am now. I've had the double mastectomy. I had the expanders put in. I did have an infection in July, so one had to come out. So I'm a little lopsided now. However, it's all temporary. And now I just finished my, I want to cheers with you guys, cheers. my cheers, um, my 12th round of chemo yesterday. Wow. So this feels so good to is be that, here with you. here for chemo? So great no, question. Very good question. Chemotherapy yesterday, I'm done, which is was 12, 12 uh, weeks in a row, every Wednesday, all day. Um, and what that'll turn into now is chemo is done, but I have a targeted therapy called Herceptin because I have a HER2 positive cancer. So HER2 positive needs, it gets a, a special treatment, all individualized treatment, which goes a year, but it's only once every three weeks and I'll be in and out of there for two hours and I won't have to wear a cold cap or have right. concerns about the side effects of neuropathy that comes with chemo. So it's revolutionized, you know, just curates and Herceptin's incredible. And again, you have to look for the silver lining. Do I, I think it sucks to have cancer. Sure. But am I amazed and fortunate that the women before me did not have these choices and I have these incredible yeah. options because there's been so many breakthroughs in the last 10 years. Herceptin is is less than 10 years on the market. So yeah. to think that I could have that along with all of the other benefits, I didn't have, as you can see, yeah, I didn't hair. lose any hair no, because hair of the cold cap therapy, oh, which was why? done in Europe the last 25 years, but has only been FDA approved here for five, six in that range. Um, but not to mention that, Wearing cold, ice cold gloves and booties, it helps. Neuropathy is terrible. It's crippling. Women who I sat next to who had had reoccurring cancer would say to me, thank God you're wearing those gloves. Thank God you're wearing those all of the, I didn't have that gear when I first came here 20 or 25 years ago. So it's an amazing moment. So much has happened. You have to just be really focused on all of the good because I have walked out of there now 12 treatments later and you two tell me I don't look like no, I've had literally any. No, literally not one. Like I'm no, it's, it, no one would believe that you've been <laughs> through this at all, any part of it. And I do want to say I knew about the cold cap therapy because I think Katie – Lee had posted a picture of you guys in in it together and um, or or she in the room with you, I should say. And I just want to say, I I think that you bring so much joy to people, but I really want to commend you on letting people try to support you through this and try to feed you and fill you up. And like, I know your friendship is so beautiful and I, it is, but I I was not thinking I would, I would have everyone to chemo Yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. In fact, I was looking for a private isolated room that I could lock off in, in my head. Yeah. And I actually went and toured. So it's very, very, um, it's just perceptive. You're very perceptive to pick up on that. And it's, I thought I do not want one person to see me. I told my husband, I didn't want him to come kind of old fashioned, a little little bit like that. (laughs) And I was like, you don't, need to do all this like this is I just can power through I'm going to do it myself and I have a completely different feeling on that now Um, and I I remember the anxiety going in because I 
I knew that on the first day it wasn't possible for me to have a private room, that I'd be in a room with three, with two other people getting chemo. And I remember I, I went to my doctor and I said, I just can't do this. Can't I do, can't I wait? I'll wait and do it at the end of the day. I'll do it overnight. Like, is there any way I could just be alone? And she was, she touched me on my hand and she's like, I am promising you. I know you think you want to be alone now. You do not want to be alone. There is so much to gain from being with other women and from having this community. I know it's just in your mind, it's the yeah. furthest thing from what you can you can think about. But And so I was really down on it. And the whole thing changed. And I ended up, I literally was scheduled friends like on the hour for chemotherapy. They'd bring coffee, snacks, tea, and help my whole 10 hours go oh so fast. I never felt the ice cream headaches or the cold cap headaches because I had all of my incredible girls there from school and the other moms would come and they'd bring me all sorts of stories of how their kids irritated them that morning. And we would just get (laughs) into it and it helped the day go by. And honestly, equally as important were the days that I were with, I was with the other patients because there's always someone who has it worse off, right? So not because that was, uh, oh my gosh, I feel so much better because I heard her story, but women are so incredibly they generous. It. Yeah. And it's a little bit like if we were all kind of in a jail cell, when you first walk in, people are like, so what are you in for? Yeah, you're what sizing are you in for? it up. It's <laughs> very like, and so you go in and you're like, hi, my name's Greta. And they're like, what are you in for? And after a few <laughs> weeks, there'd be new people starting. And I was like, hi, I'm Greta, what are you in for? Like, oh, and so we would just like, we would just own it and talk about it and be open about it and you know, I have this whole community of people and friends who've done so much for me who they never met. You know, we were strangers. They never thought they would. And now I had a woman on my last day yesterday. She reached out to me um, from a friend of a friend. And it ended up that she booked her chemo the day of my day because it was her first one. She was really frightened. And I said, Betty Lou, let's meet. I sent her all sorts of the shampoo and all the things she should have for the cold cap. And we met yesterday and she wrote me this morning. I'll show you guys the the, the text was so sweet. She's like, it. I just can't tell you how good I feel and how amazing it felt because I was so stressed out that I couldn't even, they had sent me to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist couldn't even help me. But just talking to you, non-doctor obviously, with nothing else to say except share an experience, mm-hmm. made me feel like I could walk in there strong and just having the day we had, I know I can get through this these next 11. You, uh, you've given a gift to a lot of people. Um, on Mom Brain, we ask what your favorite thing is. Well, I'm loving cowboy boots, which you see with the low heel, because I've kind of embraced, I love, I'm a high heel girl. Like this is my thing all the time usually, but I am, I'm, I'm finally, I'm like last to the party, but I'm finally on the midi, the midi heel as they call it. And I felt like being like five, one, being a mom, unfortunately not being an exercise queen, though I always look to you two for inspiration, (laughs) trying to get back to my pre-kid size. Um, and with my new boobs, they'll be so cute. I'm going to forget it when I come back here. You're going to be like, wow. Um, and so I like the midi heel and I feel like I'm embracing the fact that, you know, I'm going to be like always under five, five and that's OK. So these are toga. It's still an investment purchase, but it's, you know, really good kind of high, good fashion, yeah. good construction, easy to throw on. You can see it's super loose. So you're not like yeah. struggling to get it on and off. And it's sort of that boot you can wear anyway. I've been wearing it with dresses and sweatpants and I just throw them on and kind of mix them into everything. I also like the white. You can see this is kind of what I call ice white. Yeah, You can like totally snowy. rock a pure white boot or mm. pure white shoe because all of the rules are out the window. But I kind of like just I don't want to call it off white because it's not Dumb. creamy. It. Dove is a perfect. See, I should have left it to you. Dove is perfect. (laughs) I'm loving that. Thank you so much, Greta. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is a
All right, guys, that was Greta. Um, I am going to listen to this one again and again, make sure that I have like all my notes taken just because it's it's something that I have spent some time thinking about given, you know, my family history and, you know, my own experience with finding a lump in my breast. But also just because I mean, I'm, I'm getting to that age where we really start having to think about it. And early detection is really a lifesaver. So I think that she is doing such a great service to all of us in, in really teaching. I really think she needs to write like the best, the best friend girl guide to be to kicking the shit out. What did she say? Kicking cancer's <laughs> kicking ass. ass. Kicking ass. I feel like she really has to do that because she has so much to give. Yeah. I just go back to that feeling of there are no accidents and you go through things and, and, you know, take what you can from them. And I feel like she has just constantly looked for the silver lining in this experience and, um, and, you know, just being able to prepare other women and share her experience and share her story so that people who are afraid to have answers or afraid of what they might find, don't wait till it's too late, you know? And I, I just thought that was so generous of her and and so classically Greta. Um, She's one of my favorite things. I, I feel like that she credit is my favorite thing this week, but it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. All right. So today, my favorite thing is the Beach Waver hair iron because I am terrible at blowing up my hair and making it look nice. And I, well, for years, I was terrible at it. And for years, I would always have to have my hair professionally blown out. Um, And then I discovered the Beach Waver. And it was because like, I I love that fit curl finishing because I can blow my hair out, but then it's just like stick straight. Curling your hair allows you to have some kind of like movement of it and it doesn't look just, you know, like that really 90s, like straight, straight, straight look. Um, and I was always really bad at using a hair iron. I would like burn myself. I'd get it tangled in. I would get like bored halfway through and it was like this whole thing. So then there's like those other instruments that like get your hair like stuck in it. And I was always afraid that it was going like, to pull my hair out. Um, so the Beach Waver is this curling iron and it has like this little clip and then it has a button. And so you put your hair in like the clip and it just goes around it. You guys have to look at like YouTube videos of it. It's absolutely amazing. And even for me, who is a complete hair dunce, I can make my hair look nice with it. So I highly, highly, highly recommend it. It's something that I will not travel without. Um, And that is my favorite thing. Um, My favorite thing this week is actually... It seems like such a straightforward thing. Everyone has a thermos, but I um, invested in a Yeti Rambler cup because I was like, where can I find a hot mug that's going to keep my 32 ounces of tea hot for whenever I feel like drinking it? Because, you know, as a mom, like you make yourself, you know, tea or coffee. And by the time you come back to drink it, it is ice cold. And I'm one of those people like I cannot eat ice cream if it's even slightly melted. It needs to be ice cold and I cannot Daphne's drink tea. very particular about I- <laughs> the things that she consumes. Well, especially because I'm allowed like my one cup of coffee a day because my body does not process caffeine that well. So I have my like one special caffeinated beverage a day. Um, And I really want it to be as perfect as possible. (laughs) So, and that's super important for my tea, which usually is not caffeinated because it's all mother's milk tea all the time anyway. But I I like to drink a lot of it and I like to drink it hot. And this Yeti mug keeps it hot. I swear to you, I can 
put boiling water in it when I go to bed at like, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And at six in the morning when I wake up, it's still hot in there. It's crazy. All right, guys, um, please rate, review and subscribe. Tell your friends and grow the community, grow the grow the wonderful base of mom brains that we all pull from because we are figuring this out together. And to that end, send us your emails. We're mombrainpod at gmail.com. We are, of course, on Instagram and on YouTube. And we will be back next Wednesday with more delicious Mom Brain Podcast. Bye. Bye, guys. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.